It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. This week I'm your host Rich Fay and I'm joined just a one-man show by Samuel Luckhurst. Uh, Samuel, how are you doing? Uh, a little bit tired after a, a late finish, but it could have been even later if, if Fuller had got an equaliser and it went to extra time. So I think we, we were all very, very grateful about that in the in the press box, to say the least. Yeah, United unconvincingly held on to, to win again. But I suppose for Ralph Raniak, that is still a, a positive after the defeat to Wolves a week previous. And of course, his poor performances against Newcastle, Norwich still looming quite recently as well. It's been a real sort of odd sort of spell for United, hasn't it? Because, of course, we talk about this perceived crisis, the players who want to leave, just the entire mood around the club, Samuel. And, you know, maybe on paper, if you're just looking at the results, it's not too bad. And again, it was a win last night. And maybe the consequentialism is that the end justified the means for United. They still got through. It's a cup competition. You don't need to be the best team to win a cup competition. United maybe have more importance and trying to win the FA Cup this season. They're through to the fourth round. They will host Middlesbrough next month for Old Trafford. But the game itself, Samuel, it did just feel like more of the same that we've been used to recently. And again, I guess the question for United fans today is, what is the problem? Is it formation? Is it personnel? Is it the manager? Is it a combination of all three? I think it is a combination of all three at, at the moment. The, the, the Villa win was was a minor improvement on, on the Wolves game and it was, it was difficult not to improve on that. But already now we're in the realms where uh, the, the interim manager has, has used four different formations in the last two games. I thought Villa over the course of, of the cup game were, were were the better side. They looked more enterprising. They they had better control. They had more possession. Which okay, that's not not always an impressive statistic. But the days where teams went to Old Trafford and and were cowed by the occasion are, are long gone. If anything, it's it's the complete opposite now. Burnley impressed uh, in the first half and they ended it three one down. But certainly in that in that early spell where they had a couple of opportunities you you thought that it could have been it could have been quite a tricky night for united but they they got the early breakthrough there and it, whatever formation united use it's it's not foolproof immediately when you saw villa's team last night you thought united would get outnumbered in midfield they got outnumbered in midfield as as derided as McTominay and Fred are as a partnership they did at least have that you know, brilliant combination for the goal it was a, a brilliant cross and it was a it was a very, very well-timed header from McTominay. But Rangnick, even in his assessment afterwards, he ex- accepted the um, the issues with the 4-2-3-1 that he switched to because of the way Villa play. But it was, as you said, it was almost as if the ends just about justified the means. And I, th- I think United can, can be thankful for their bloated squad as well in that the substitutions did have an impact in taking the game further away from Villa. Villa's bench, the majority of those substitutes would have been unrecognisable to anyone other than Aston Villa supporters, I'd have imagined, um, the majority of them anyway. So the the bench aspect certainly came into it and where you can make more substitutions in the FA Cup. If, if United needed that, I'm sure they'd have uh, gone to, to other options on the bench rather than just making the three that they did. But the three that they did had had relatively positive impacts. But 
looking ahead to Saturday, I, I think there was enough in, enough in that game last night for Villa to be very confident about getting a positive result in, in the league game at Villa Park. Exactly, and that's the whole point, isn't it? That United did ride their luck at times and you feel a repeat performance, they could certainly be punished at Villa Park and it was kind of a similar performance to the one we saw back in September where United did lose to Aston Villa. It was another cagey game, a close game. They scored from yeah. a set piece, United missed that penalty and you know, you talk about the fine margins. I know Oligon and Solskjaer always did. Last night was a very similar game to that, but it went United's favour this time. Before we get on to maybe individual performances, the actual team selection itself, Samuel, United do it was still a bit light at centre-back, so it was Varane and Lindelof who'd just come back first game in, was it three weeks or so? He's a bit rusty, got shaken off, didn't he, by Ollie Watkins. He, he just looked a bit off it, really, but that is to be expected. And without Jones and Maguire there, by it, the AFCON, you know, that was all United could do. Strike force as well, no Sancho, no Ronaldo. So the lineup. When you saw the players available, it did make sense, didn't it? There weren't any real surprises. But in terms of the actual squad and, and the absentees, are there anything long-term or do you expect all those players to be back this weekend? Uh, Rangnick sounded quite positive about the prospect of um, most of them coming back this weekend. I think he name-checked Maguire and, and Jones saying that they could <clears throat> come back. But he did say a few players that would that would indicate more than just those two. Uh, I mean, I had, I had a little bit of sympathy with Lindelof in the... Uh, I think it was it was his first game since Norwich, where obviously he had a pretty worrying episode and was fitted with a heart monitor after that. Then his uh, his baby boy was in hospital with with viral meningitis, so he's he's had a pretty dreadful time in the last month. That's even without mentioning the fact that he, that he had COVID, um, which he was fortunately asymptomatic with. But I suppose in that instance, he he still got to do a lot better, and it wasn't just the fact that he miscontrolled it. He then made it very easy. Um, for Ollie Watkins, effectively inviting him to come inside and have a shot at goal. And it was it was an opportunity that Watkins should have buried. And you sense when Villa missed those opportunities, that was one, the, the deflected shot from Jacob Ramsey that just went wide. And then, of course, the, the disallowed goal, all goals in the second half, you sense that they just weren't going to get that breakthrough. Whereas in the league game um, in September, I think it was, I wasn't at that one, you were at that one, but watching it back, as you, it was a cagey game going in nil nil going into uh, the last ten minutes, and Villa got that goal from from the corner. So um, I don't think that was part of their game plan yesterday. They were much more front footed, and I think that they've had some performances under Gerrard where they've they've impressed without getting the result. Um, Anfield they, they they were quite unlucky to get a one nil defeat there uh, last month. I think it was about four weeks ago. So that they've they've got. They seem a lot more organised now, whereas maybe under Smith, where they lost Grealish, they were feeling a bit sorry for themselves from that. They were having to bed in signings as well. Uh, some of those signings in the summer cost quite a bit of money. And now they look a lot more settled side and more assured side with um, with, with Gerrard as, as manager. And of course, you know that added factor last night, it, it certainly did you know, enhance the atmosphere from time to time. But again, going back to the, the earlier point, Villa are 13th in the league table and there's no hint of an inferiority complex of a 13th place side going to Old Trafford and that's not a surprise anymore you you watch United at home this season they've had maybe two convincing wins and even one of those the 4-1 against Newcastle um, Newcastle had some very good opportunities in that game uh, before before Ronaldo scored the first goal um, and, and of course they made it 1-1 it was just that second goal from Ronaldo that that saw them off. Even the Burnley game, it was it was an easy win the other week, but 
it wasn't particularly it wasn't memorable whatsoever and the second half was was a bit of a non-event so where United are in a work a work in progress at this stage of the season is a is a genuine concern because you talk about the business end of the season in from February onwards and then the running creeps up on you before you know it and they really need to get going if they are to salvage this season. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, there's a lot of work to do. And I guess we were going to go into formation anyway. And that kind of takes us ahead, maybe more looking ahead to the weekend. I know we're going to get onto individual players in a second. But do you think that, because like you said, it's a matter of fact that Ranik's tried so many different formations, a few kind of different approaches, different personnel to a degree, although most of that's just enforced. There's still players who seem to be overlooked for, for some reason whatsoever. But in terms of the way that Rannick's approached it, do you think he's got that sort of lenience and license? You know, he's only the interim manager. Do you think he's trying to still suss out the players and, the, and what he's got at his disposal? I think he's got a decent handle on which ones he regards as, as assets. And he, he's actually dropped some players, which was beyond uh, Solskjaer with, with a number of them. And that, that caused problems in terms of just the, the form of the team, the results, it was like flocking a dead horse. You've seen over the last week that I think taking Fernandes out of the firing line, albeit very briefly, uh, just by benching him against Wolves, it, it has jolted him somewhat. Um, I, th- I thought he was, you know, he obviously had some good impacts against Wolves. He should have scored. He was a lot better last night. He's still nowhere near his optimum. Um, and unfortunately, with with him, his his season peaked in the first day of the season against Leeds. But United did get a reaction from him. I, I suppose for for a lot of the supporters watching the game and and ourselves included in in, in the press lounge when when the team dropped, you, you would maybe have expected a couple more not fringe players, but well, Donny Van der Beek is a fringe player. I, I wouldn't say I'd have expected to see him start, but. With with a with a cup tie, you know there's there is there's scope for rotation, not mass rotation. And Rangnick did say on Friday that he was going to play his best possible team. Where you got this, you know, you did the squad story at lunchtime, and it, we we soon had it confirmed that yes, those players who were missing would be missing for the game that evening. So I think Dean Henderson and Donny Van der Beek were probably the only two who must have had a, a realistic chance of playing, and they weren't anywhere to be seen. That back four now is probably the best available back four um, to to Rangnick. Um, I, I'm sure Harry Maguire will probably be back in at the weekend, and, and Lindelof didn't cover himself in glory. But Maguire as he should have been dropped earlier in the season. That's not happened. United missed him towards the end of last season. They've not really missed him during this period because he's had such a walking disaster of a season. Um, but unfortunately for them, they've got too many players at the moment who who just aren't in in good enough form. I mean, McTominay's got two goals in his last two games, sorry, three games. But the game in between where he didn't have a goal, uh, he was, I mean, he was just so he was, he was bullied by Jal Moutinho and Ruben Neves. Um, that's that's the standard of, of midfield and United really lack, and um, it's a department that's going to be a recurring problem until the end of the season because nobody expects them to to make a signing uh, a midfield signing this this month either and when you're chopping and changing the formation and okay they you know 423 ones are more it's a more customary formation it's something united are used to but it still has its drawbacks and united got outnumbered in midfield and there was one point i think i even tweeted about it but there was one point in the second half where the front four attempted to press and it was just so easy for villa to play it past them because 
pretty much the the other seven players had withdrawn into their own territory into their own half and own territory so you could have fit a jumbo jet in between them and i remember ty saying something similar when we were commenting on Solskjaer's reign and the lack of pressing and the lack of uh, cohesion in that side so again it comes back to work in progress and this is not a time for for a team to be a work in progress but that's that's the reality of the situation with united yeah exactly like i said there's that quote i think from ranik post-match saying that there's more aggression from his team but the pressing wasn't any better and like you say he's got a big job in his hands and like you said particularly when united come up against a, a midfield that know how to control the game who aren't scared of united don't show them that 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 respect really that's when the, the real problems do do occur and like you said they're on team selection as well i just looking then on i was going back to the lineup when united even played liverpool in the fa cup fourth round last year solskjaer still played henderson and van der Beek from the start in that game you know he still used the fa cup as an opportunity to to rotate players and it's just odd that like you said ranik's not not gone down the same sort of pathway himself and it was really interesting and we're going to get onto individuals now and maybe we will start with a positive rather rather than a negative and in a weird way, you know, Van der Beek came on and did control the game. He managed to sort of get the tempo and, and get it back into United's grip again. Do you think that maybe is going to be his role going forward? I mean, I know we keep on saying Van der Beek needs to start and all this, and fans, you can get petitions every week about how he should be playing. But having someone who can come on, like Matic does so often, and just control the game and help you through those last 15, 20 minutes is, you know, it's invaluable. It's, it's priceless for United. Do you think that is something that could become sort of Van der Beek's little sort of trump card towards the end of the season? Or do you think he still needs to be playing games and I'm clutching at straws hopelessly? He needs to be starting games and uh, it doesn't reflect well on him that two very different managers don't don't really seem to fancy him as a starter. United lost badly against Wolves. They were dreadful in midfield that's that's an excuse to to start him and he and he he still didn't start it was still two players that were bought and developed by by Jose Mourinho and who who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came to depend on um, the, the matchday squad last night consisted of players that had been signed or developed by five different managers that is another major problem at United with Van der Beek, we, we just feel like we're repeating ourselves on a weekly basis. We, It's been covered chapter and verse why it's been as chastening a time as it has been for him. Uh, it, it was always going to need a new manager to come in for him to get a new lease of life, to get opportunities. I think that's now got to be probably be Eric Ten Hag if he is to get those opportunities because it's just not happening for him. Um, you speak to some people who um, observe things at Carrington, they say he's really good in training, the players can't understand why he doesn't get a kick. Um, the, the word coming out from the Dutch camp in the summer was that they weren't too fussed about him, him withdrawing through injury because uh, they didn't think that he could take instructions on board uh, as opposed to some of the other players, which is a strange thing to, to emerge given that up until a point um, he seemed nailed on to start in that, that Netherlands side. Maybe he wasn't going to if, he, if he'd stuck around for the Euros given how it'd gone at United. But I don't think it's all just down to United, but they, they really don't help themselves in that they've invested £40 million in this player. He, he remains an untried solution. You can't just judge him on uh, you know, sporadic starts uh, in, in cup games. I mean, the West Ham fifth round, I think it was the fifth round tie last year where he was dreadful and was just so out of kilter with the rest of the team. That was probably the lowest ever of his time at United, but it's, it's an FA Cup tie on a 
Tuesday night. Uh, it was absolutely freezing at the stadium. I'm not. I'm not making excuses for him, but it's not the reliable gauge of a player's worth to a team. And he's not started a significant league match in in over a year. And you thought that that Watford game might have been his breakthrough moment. He he had a great weekend in that he came on, scored, played really well, and Solskjaer got sacked the next day. He started in Villarreal on the Tuesday, I think it was, didn't do much. And we've not really seen much of him since then. Just a, a gimme start, if you like, in, in the young boys game where it was a bit of a mishmash of a formation uh, that was that was only set up. United were only set up that way to accommodate all the, the fringe players where they made 10 or 11 changes. Um, yeah, I, I just It's so, so difficult to see a, a way back for him at, at United when he can't even start a game like last night and the midfields in the in the state that it is and Pogba's still sidelined. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if Thunderbeat doesn't have a, a meaningful start before before Pogba comes back. And you talk about Pogba, there's there's someone who, who just doesn't want to be at the club and hasn't wanted to be at the club for a number of years. Yeah, like I said, I've always I've always had sort of personal sympathy with those players who are throwing in for a Carabao Cup game, whatever, and then if they don't play well and they drop back out of the team again because it just it like it's such an unreliable gorge but one player who didn't play well and hasn't played well all season is Marcus Rashford and like you said even the crowd were on his back a bit last night he just looks a shell of his former self really he looks so low on confidence he's not in the right areas of the pitch he's not chasing rebounds into the box he's just yeah he's he's just really struggling at the moment and not it almost looks like United are trying to persevere him so much that he plays himself back into form rather just out of hope that that might happen. But for you, Marcus Rashford and, and his current run of form or lack of, um, how do United actually solve that? What is the solution, do you think? I think he just needs to be taken out of the firing line for a sustained period. He probably only started last night because Sancho and Ronaldo were, were, were unavailable through injury. Rangnick said afterwards he'd been good in training and he completely deserved his starting the 11 um which rang is quite a quite an honest talker so maybe maybe that genuinely was the case and it didn't matter if if sancho was was going to be fit i don't think rashford would have been starting ahead of ronaldo but 2021 was just an anus horribilis for him uh there's there's no way of sugarcoating it um he's he's extremely commendable work um with um, charities and the stuff he's done off the pitch, which has got a hell of a lot of coverage, um, that that has clouded that that has, you know, had he's he's been cut a hell of a lot of slack because of that, which I think is a strange way of going about analysing a footballer. If if they're not playing well, you can't just say yeah, but he's he's done this off the pitch. You've just got to analyse the, the football side of it. Um, and, and some of that stuff that he's got in, involved in, it's the charity stuff he's done is completely commendable, and, and he deserved he deserves all the kudos for that and, and the honours. And he's he's a hero to loads of kids and loads of parents out there. And United are rightly proud of him. But there's an awful lot of brand management that goes on there. He opened up his um, notes app again at the weekend, or I should say, one of his advisors did, because again. You know, just just trying to pretend that he's the one running his Twitter account, which has been the case in the past until I think his brother got rumbled and then deleted his his agency's Twitter account. It's it's just needless. It's needless sending a tweet to Emma Raducanu after um, she she got stage fright at Wimbledon. If you want to reach out to her, just do it privately. You, you don't need to tell the world that you're doing it. Uh, those those things can can be seen as a distraction, and you know it. it 
it came to a head when when Solskjaer said what he said about focusing on football and you had the club website coming out with some absolute nonsense uh, when Solskjaer made that opening address at a press conference a few days later when he said, you know, I was misquoted, you know, you know what I said, blah, blah, blah. Well, we do know what you said. We quoted you verbatim. It was Solskjaer who said he should focus, prioritise football. Those were the words he used. And of course, those words were, were clunkily phrased by Solskjaer. Um, you know, he, was, he was prone to doing that. But of course, they don't go down well with Rashford and, and his his entourage. And of course, that, that causes issues uh, going ahead. But I've I've said a number of times in the past that before Rashford you know was doing all this commendable work that that criticism was was anathema to him and him and Marshall are quite similar in that in that season that that second Van Gaal season they had extraordinary starts uh, goal scoring debuts uh, you know two two of the best moments that season two of the best moments United post Ferguson. And come the end of the season, you know that they both have to start in an FA Cup final. When Wayne Rooney came back from injury, Van Gaal had to accommodate him in midfield because he couldn't justify dropping Rashford or Marshall. Those They were the two golden boys. With Marshall, when competition came in, he crumbled. With Rashford, if the competition was there, he didn't crumble, but he didn't completely like... Um, his the, the handling of him, uh, the tough love that, that Jose Mourinho dished out, which a lot of players didn't like either. And, you know, it's pretty obvious what Rashford and his family thought of Mourinho's reaction to that miss against young boys that time because his brother goaded Mourinho about it uh, the morning after Rashford scored twice against uh, Mourinho's Tottenham team in, I think it was December 2019. So where they were, where they were two golden boys that time, they... they developed a massive air of entitlement they thought it can't you know how, how could can this be and then competition comes in players take their place they're not starting all the time they're brought you know thudding back down to earth and they they feel a bit um not not resentful about it Marshall certainly felt resentful I think Rashford was a bit more headstrong with it but it does it, do, it does impact them um and, and when Solskjaer empowered them if you like by selling Lukaku uh, marginalizing Sanchez to ensure that they were both starting they did do well up until the point and I think Rashford in that that 2019-20 season he was he was talismanic from October to January and when he got injured in January it was an absolute disaster for United there was no way of um there was no way of you know sugarcoating that at all it was I think that, that that was the month they had to go out and sign Odin Nigalo because they just needed another option up front. But it was an unmitigated disaster to lose him from the team. When he came back, uh, when the season restarted, Bruno Fernandes was now a United player and, and he pretty much assumed that that talismanic role. And I don't think Rashford's ever been quite the same, even though he was yeah, he had a pretty good start to last season with a hat trick against Leipzig and the winner against PSG. Some of the goals he scored last season were exceptional. Brighton, what, yeah. Brighton? Yeah. yeah, the Brighton goal as well. He took his goal well at Sheffield United. The first few months of the season he was very good and Solskjaer ran him into the ground. That's no nobody's pretended that wasn't the case. Solskjaer has his handling of a number of players was was dreadful last season in terms of overplaying them and with Rashford there was a lot of wear and tear there but he, he's had his he's he had shoulder surgery in in July I think it was he's been fully fit since since October so all the mitigation and excuses they they don't stack up now um he's he's just not been on it for a long long time 
and it's it's really taken a live televised match on terrestrial television where you could hear supporters audibly groan at him failing to uh, compete for a loose ball in in each half and then some supporters sarcastically cheering when when he was substituted for his poor form to get wider coverage because his team have done well at countering that in terms of the the brand management but some of that brand management has has been needless and it it probably has probably has compromised his his focus in a way but when i say brand management i'm saying that is separate to the charity work that he's done i think that that um i don't think he should ever be discouraged from doing that because he is making a genuine difference there yeah and another thing that i think united fans are frustrated with is the sort of hypocrisy maybe is the word because in the way that he's handled on the pitch and the fact that if Greenwood has a game but doesn't score a goal, he's off 45 minutes, you know, half time or on the hour mark. But it seems like Rashford gets until 80 minutes to to try and, mm. you know, improve and, and have a chance to to get back into form, whatever. It just feels like, from my point of view, anyway, that Greenwood doesn't quite get the same leniency. And, and maybe that's needed because maybe they've learned from the mistakes of Rashford in a weird way that he needs to just be, take they need to take care of him, really. He's played so many games at such a young age. And it would be interesting to see how United do approach that Villa game this weekend because it's very peculiar and it's odd circumstance when you play the same time, same team twice in a week. And, yeah, trip to Villa Park on Saturday, like we've already said, Samuel, if United repeat the performance we saw on Monday night, then there's probably not much chance of the three points coming back to Old Trafford either. Scott McTominay and Luke Shaw both suspended for the game, so United are going to have to get creative somehow. In terms of the team selection, what do you expect to see? Like we said, some players might return from injury, but Tellers at left back and the midfield becomes an issue again without Scott McTominay. It does, and it will probably be Matic and Fred. I don't think anybody's really banking on Van der Beek to, to be starting in that game. United are guaranteed, well, largely guaranteed to have two midfielders, you would think. Um, there's already been a bit of talk about maybe switching to a diamond from the start of the game. Uh, it's, it's it's maybe a bit premature. I don't think it's going to stop me writing a piece on it for the morning because um, because it's just it's, it's an original idea. It's something worth it, worth exploring. Um, but really, I think how, how United set up in that game is is going to be quite quite crucial. I, th- I think it has got scope for Villa to finally get that first league win at home against United since August '95. Coutinho could make his debut. It's Villa Park under the floodlights, that always makes the atmosphere a hell of a lot more better. Um, I, th- I think there'll be certainly, yeah, from, from Villa's perspective, a, a desperation to right the wrongs of the cup defeat. And also you've got Stephen Gerrard probably still stewing over uh, that defeat last night and, and this just unrelentless stick that he got from, from United supporters as well. So although Villa are where they are in the league and, and it's a game that United really should should still be winning. They've they've struggled at Norwich and Newcastle recently. So I, I think there's every there's every chance Villa could could pull off a result this weekend. I, I don't see why Villa shouldn't be confident of of getting a win in that game either. But I, I genuinely think it, it depends on whether United set up in a formation that is going to work for them and, and how well they they slot into it because already Rangnick in the last two games he's he's used He's used two, uh, four different formations, um, changed formation in, in the second half of both of them. That tells you that this, this prob- these problems at the club are so deep-rooted and a symptom of questionable recruitment um, during the whole cultural reset nonsense. Um, I, I still think United have actually got a good squad. That's the weird thing. Yeah. But 
they they possibly signed too many players who are too individualistic. Whereas if you, I think if you look at the the clubs who recruit best, you they they'll bring a player in and immediately you see right how he's going to benefit a teammate and that teammate and that teammate. Just you know plucking an example out of thin air when when Fabinho went to Liverpool, he's going to benefit. Jorginho Wijnaldum because Wijnaldum can get forward. He's going to benefit Salah and Mane because he yeah. can pick a pass. He's going to benefit the centre backs because he's going to protect them. So that's that's almost half the team, half his teammates who he's going to make better um, just by going in there in that position. With United, it's almost as if th- th- they're banking on that moment of magic, and and it has worked with Fernandez uh, to an extent. It's it's dried up a hell of a lot this season. But he's kind of like become the the poster boy of recruitment, and for better and for worse, in that he will do something out of nothing. But there are a lot of teammates who his presence is is to the detriment of. Again, last night against Aston Villa, Villa outnumbered United very very easily with by having three midfielders. Now that's an avoidable problem if Fernandez tracks back and United switch to a four three three out of out of possession. Um, but it, it, it didn't happen. I don't think that's that, that's necessarily all the players' fault. I don't see why the coaches can't say to Fernandez, "You need to drop back there when we've not got the ball." And it did, and it certainly did work having Fernandez deeper from time to time because he sprung those passes that allowed United to go on the counter attack. But more often than not, Villa were outnumbering United there, and Fernandez was was lagging, and he was part of that front four who were becoming quite detached from the rest of the other players. Uh, so it's it, it'll be an interesting one on on um, Saturday. In the normally when you go to Villa Park, it's it's a fait accompli that United are going to win because of their remarkable record there. But I just sense that Villa will be a lot more confident about this visit of United than they have been in the last twenty twenty six and a half years or whenever it's been since their last yeah. one. Yeah, well, like you said, you've actually almost made me excited for the weekend there, Samuel. So you've done the good. Uh, maybe you should work for Sky Sports and do the adverts because you've you've actually managed to make it sound like it's going to be more interesting than the second game in the week where United are going to. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. ride that luck, and who who knows what will rise ahead. In terms of team selection, then I guess the final question, like we said, Maguire and Jones could both be back this weekend. Back four, what would you go for then? Like we said, Tellers and Dallow, I'm guessing would be your your, your fullbacks if, if Shaw's suspended, and and then mm-hmm. in, in the middle, who would you go for there as your partnership? I'd still go with Varane and Lindelof simply because I think there's got to be a principle with Maguire that he shouldn't go straight back into the side. I think you set a you just set a, set a dangerous precedent there, um, and that precedent has maybe already been set. But it's a new manager; it's a time, it's an opportunity to give someone else a go. I don't think you can just judge Lindelof on the back of the performance on Monday night. As I said, given the last month he's had, he's entitled to have one pretty sloppy game. And I think prior to uh, when he went off against Norwich, he was he was doing well under Ranić. He was very good against Crystal Palace and he was, he was performing reasonably against Norwich. He had a difficult first half, but it happens quite a lot with Lindelof in that he'll, he'll have a difficult first half and he'll be a lot more stable once he's, you know, had a half-time cup of tea or whatever it is they, they'll drink. It certainly won't be tea. Um, and and gets out of the second half and he, he often seems a lot more secure. And he, I thought he, he, was, he was reasonably decent under Michael Carrick across those three games as well. Um, but again, it's just there are not ideal options in, in most positions. I, I suspect Rangnick will go with Maguire and Varane with 
with Dallo and Tellez, um, and, and of course De Gea will be in goal. So the back five, from from his perspective, probably picks itself. It's just what the shape of that that front six is is going to be, and whether he does feel the need to take Rashford out of the firing line, whether he can take Rashford out of the firing line, um, given the injuries to to Sancho and Ronaldo. But that said, Anthony Langer did very well when he came on. Uh, was very energetic and. It's, it's high time Lingard probably started a league game for United, even though he'll he'll go in the summer. They've they've just not made the most of him at all this season. No, that's been the story with so many players, hasn't it? And like you said, maybe that's the the harsh reality to end on, isn't it? The fact that despite the positivity you can take from players like Alanga, there's still so many at the club who just wonder what they're doing there and what the purpose even is really going forward. And like you said, United still need to find that identity under Ranić and. Who knows, at Villa Park this weekend, it could be the making of them or who knows, the worries could continue once more. Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you very much, Rich. And thank you very much, as always, wherever you are in the world.